Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Best You and Gun Angle book on this Friday, February 16th. Montreal Canadiens have decided to have a day off, Arvin, but uh, we don't. We never have a day off. We, choose, we keep going every day. Keep going, yeah. Yeah, well, generally, after you play a football game, you get a day off. So oh. you give up a touchdown. You give up a touchdown yeah. again. Again. That's. Uh, yeah. It's it's it, it happened. If my if I recall correctly, it happened not so long ago. Yeah, twice in in five days or four days actually. So, so yeah, Canadians uh, take a beating from the New York Rangers. And actually, I think in both those cases, both the case of the the game against the Blues and the game against the Rangers, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving up the seven goals was more a reflection of the goaltending the Canadians got in that game than the way they actually played. Um, Jake Allen. We went over it on the last episode. Was not up to par, not even close uh, in the game against the Blues and uh, on Sunday. And uh, Sam Montabo was not very good against the Rangers. I mean, listen, I think some of the goals there wasn't a whole lot he could have done, but I think there were a few goals there that he definitely should have stopped and uh, could have kept his team in the game. Is uh, Canes produced four goals against a pretty good defensive team in the Rangers. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, you could argue that a couple of them came kind of in garbage time, but it, it, they did they did keep the game within reach. Um, so, you know, obviously we're making light of the fact they gave up seven goals twice in a span of three games, uh, but I do honestly believe that both those cases, playing against teams that were pretty hot in both cases, um, mm-hmm. although the Blues really laid an egg the next game in Toronto. But, um, but yeah, it's, you know, it, the Canadians didn't play quite as bad as the seven goal, uh, seven goal turnout for the other team would suggest. Um, Yeah. Something I've, I've noticed though, is that uh, Martin St. Louis is not keen on, on pulling his goalie on replacing, you know, so in both instances, you know, Allen stayed in there for for all seven goals on on Sunday. Montabo stayed there the whole game at Madison Square Garden. Uh, in Boston on January twentieth, Montabo gave up eight goals before he was replaced by Kenyon Primo to finish the game against the Bruins. And yeah. there were other instances instances since last season 
where the starting goalie would stay in there despite giving up either seven or eight goals. And even nine. One, I think there was one occasion with, uh, with Jake Allen where Jake gave nine goals and, and stayed there the whole game. So it's really not in his habit. It seems as though once they've decided like who's going to play the next game or managing the, the amount of energy that's being spent by one goalie or the, or the other, they don't seem to be too bothered by replacing said goalie uh, during a game, which is a bit which, surprising. For well, it's a bit weird time. because that's like one of the benefits of having three goalies. No, there's not that right. many. But one of the benefits of having three goalies is that if you find yourself in a situation like you did, like the Canadians were in on Thursday in New York, even if Jake Allen, it was slated to play on Saturday, which we don't know right now, but let's say he was, uh, A, it's Thursday. So putting him yeah. in the game would not kill you. Uh, and B, if he does play a lot or gets a lot of shots or whatever, you decide that his workload was too high you have a third goalie who you could put in, who's coming off a shutout, <laughs> who you could put in on Saturday, or you can put Montable back in. I mean, there's there's tons of options. And, yeah, I agree. I don't know where it comes from. Um, but, yeah, he's extremely reluctant to do it. And it is, it is odd. And I think, you know, it, generally speaking – it's one of the things uh, like one of the game management things that we see that Marty's kind of trying to get a handle on, you know, it's, it's, there's, you know, he makes, he'll make line changes between periods sometimes um, very rarely, very rarely in the middle of the period, you know, on the fly adjustments, he, he tends to give a lot of benefit of the doubt to his guys, which might be a player's mentality. Um, trust your guys to, to figure out a way. And maybe this is a case with the goalies. Like I, I know a lot of goalies prefer to fight with their teammates and, and battle and battle back. Um, so I think this, uh, I think this actually, this reluctance to kind of pull goalies is kind of a greater or one example, I guess, of Marty's sort of reluctance to make in-game adjustments and, and, and how he's, it's one of these things he's still trying to get a handle on as a coach. Uh, yeah. You know, I thought that game against the Rangers, they had, there could have been an opportunity to, to kind of, you know, send, send a message to his players or, 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 you know, give a sense that we're still in this game. I'm still fighting to, to stay in this game. Uh, we're going to do this. Uh, you know, didn't do that. And, and, you know, we see, sometimes adjustments made between periods, but very rarely sort of on the fly. And, you know, he's a young coach and I think he, he admits that he's learning some things. And I think, yeah, the goalie pulling the goalie, I think in some cases, I agree. It's not all that useful, but you know, I think in both this, well, less so the St. Louis game, but definitely that game against the Rangers, I thought pulling him during that barrage of goals in the second period, um, could have stopped the bleeding a little bit. Well, it's 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 because it's either one of two things. Either it's it's it was not the goalie's night, as he said about Allen the other day. Uh-huh. It was not his night. It was not his game. Whatever. And then you're justified to replace him, or you can pull the goalie as a mercy pull, where it's not because of him, but it's the the team in front of him that's not doing well, and you need something to 
shake things up and and refocus the team. So it, it doesn't have to be on the goalie. Sometimes he's just a victim of their circumstances, but that's one option that's at his disposal. It is. It has struck me once again how, yeah, he's reluctant to do that. So. Yeah, and it's it does send a message um, sometimes. But um, more big picture. Listen, I thought again mentioned that the scoreline doesn't suggest it, but I thought that was actually a relatively competitive game. I'd say the first twenty five minutes of that game, and then there were stretches later where. The Canadians showed some real fight, um, despite giving up those four goals really fast in the second. But it's um, Cole Caulfield gets two goals and assists in the game. And we've talked a lot about that top line. We've talked a lot about Nick Suzuki. We've talked a ton about Uri Slavkowski, all with with merit, and they deserve to be talked about. But, you know, Cole Caulfield coming out of his his slump, you know, we, we, I think, I believe we had an episode of this podcast that was titled Cold Caulfield. Um, <laughs> I looked it up too. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we did have an episode of this podcast called Cold Caulfield. Yeah. Um, he's not cold anymore. Now, now you look at uh, over the last month or so, since January 13th, this game against Edmonton on January 13th has been a real turning point for this top line. Um, since that date, Nick Suzuki is seventh in NHL scoring with 18 points. Cole Caulfield, he's tied for seventh, I should say, with Austin Matthews. Um, Cole Caulfield is tied for ninth with 17 points um, in the NHL. Now, what's interesting about that is 10 of Nick Suzuki's 18 points in that span came on the power play. With Cole Caulfield, it's only six. He got 11 points at even strength in 13 games uh, over that span. So he's getting it done at five on five and um, is not relying on the power play uh, to be his, his sort of time to produce. And though he is producing, he has four power play goals in that span, yeah. uh, but he is getting most of his points at even strength, which I think speaks to, the work that's being done on his game by Marty, by Adam Nicholas, the staff in general, and the level of buy-in that he's had, he's starting to see results for it. And I think it's it's it was this is a good reflection of how patient he was this season because I don't think he enjoyed not producing for as long as he did. No, and I, last week, only a few days ago, actually, yeah. I asked Marty about Slavkovsky and his defensive play, and he, he answered by including Caulfield in his answer and saying that both mm -hmm. guys had really made strides in improving their off-the-puck play. Uh, and it's true that, that Caulfield is a lot more involved in his own end. But you see it also is off-the-play puck in order to keep plays alive in the offensive zone, along the boards, just using the stick effectively and intercepting passes and things like that, just to make sure that you you sustain ozone time. And and it created, uh, it, it's creating goals too in that way. So I think it's the objective back then when we had that episode of, of Cold Caulfield, uh, it was, we were mentioning how there, there was certain frustration that was, you know, creeping into his game, but at the same time, he remained adamant that he was working on became becoming a more uh, rounded out player, 
and that's clearly the, it, that 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 objective has been achieved. But in the well, meantime, now that that he has picked up in his goal scoring, and you could argue that there's there's a very legitimate chance that he might hit 30 despite his slow start. Um, well, the, the bottom line for this player is that you know despite the slow start, he could he could consider this season to be a great success. And I think that when we look at this Montreal Canadiens team and we see bad overall performances such as the one they had last night, you really have to focus on the guys that will still be there when it matters. To me, those are yeah. the guys that I look at the most. I don't really care about the, the the journeyman or the guys that are just fringe players and that might be you know, pushed away by younger and better players eventually. I look uh -huh. at those who who are part of the plan long term, and in that sense, it's encouraging. When you look at the at the Suzuki, Caulfield, Slavkovsky line, when you look at at Gouldie, when you look at Matheson, most of the time when you look at Montembeau too, uh, you know Newhook didn't have a good game, but his previous three, couple of games before since his return, he looked good too. Those are the guys that are making this season interesting. Uh -huh and relevant mm -hmm. in following until the end, no matter the results. And to that point, I mean, Caulfield is as, 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 as risen to the occasion and it's, it's exciting. You can take the sample size that, you know, that you gave and say, Oh, well, he's, he's, you know, he's top 10 scoring in the last month or so. Fine. It's a good, it's a good stretch. He might have mm -hmm. cold spells again, but it's just that he's he probably just much more than just a goal scorer now. And that's what that's what was the point since the beginning. Well, I think you mentioned that. I mean, his like his five on five numbers from a from kind of a rate standpoint. Um, you know, goals are obviously down from last season. Uh, he scored one point six one goals per sixty at five on five last season. He's at zero point six three, but assists have gone up. 0.66 to 1.1. And this is the most striking one. First assist per 60 at five on five. Last season was 0.19 and now is 0.71. So it's more than tripled in terms of rates. Um, but points are slightly down and, and everything. And this is kind of a reflection of, of his first half of the season, let's say. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, individual expected goals per 60 are up. Um, shots per 60 are up slightly, but still, you know, basically the same as last year, like not any lower um, individual expected goals, the same. So it's, you know, even though he was sacrificing certain elements of his offensive game in order to round out his play, uh, you know, this recent stretch is, is getting his numbers up to a level that um, are different in some ways, but in, in important ways for him, more or less the same. I mean, his shooting percentage is still just at 6.25. You know, it's not, it's not where it was at 16.19 last year at five on five. So it's, it's, that explains the, the goals because the expected goal numbers, as I mentioned, are the same, but, and, and you see these getting chances, but the amount of extra touches he earns through his play off the puck. Yeah. The, the recoveries that you mentioned. Um, <clears throat> and he's, and, and, what's even more encouraging is that he's doing it sort of in concert with his linemates, you know, like he's often like the second guy on pressure, 
Like Slavkovsky will go and if they, if they lose a puck in the offensive zone, Slavkovsky will go and and initiate that first layer of pressure. And then Caulfield will swoop in and, and he'll actually get the turnover or he'll benefit from the work that Slavkovsky did. Uh, but that's anticipation. That's him recognizing what has to be done when he loses the puck. And, and his level of buy-in and commitment to playing this way is what's, from the Canadians should be most encouraging is that he didn't care that he was, because he, there was a while, he was getting a lot of questions about his lack of scoring. And yes, I know he didn't, he didn't enjoy it. He didn't like it at all. No. So, but despite that, you know, he never just said, oh, screw this. I'm just going to, I'm just going to start to float a bit. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to leak out early. I'm going to do things that maybe can get me some more goals. Cause this, this, this sucks. Um, I think to some extent, you know, a lot of people say, oh, he signed the big contract and now he's, now he's, his production's gone down. But there's a possibility that signing that big contract allows him to do that, allows him to say, you know what, my numbers are down, but in the long run, this will be good for me. So who cares if my numbers are down? I've, I've got a contract in my back pocket. I got security. I, I don't really need to produce goals. Um, other than helping my team win, but from a personal standpoint, you know, in terms of his own future, doesn't need to worry about that in the right here and now, as long as he's doing the work, um, that'll make him a better player overall. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's something to that. Yeah. Well, he's, it's also what this season is all about. It's a, it's really a fine tuning type of season for these, these core players. And, uh -huh. you know, we were wondering at the beginning of season if, if Nick Suzuki had another gear, if he was who he was, or if he would continue like a certain level of development, and he, he is doing it. Uh, and, but, and in a more, I would say, subtle way, it's more the, the regularity in this play that's really showing up. But in terms of the drastic improvement of the, in the style of play and in the, The variety of of uses that that Caulfield can have on the ice that's that's really uh, that's that that really pops out, you know. So it's a uh, yeah, he's taking full opportunity of the fact that the team is is focusing on getting better this year. And but you're right, I think that the the, the security of a contract and not, not having to prove himself and having the pressure to put up numbers for the for the time being is is significant. Um, yeah, and he's putting them up now. I just want to pick up on something you just said, though, that I think is interesting. Um, I think we, I think it's worth talking about because when you mention when you mention players who will be here in the future, and I agree with you 100. That's how I look at the team. I try to look at the players who will be here when the team is good and focus on them because yeah. it's not. It's you know, I don't want actually want to name a specific player, but a player who's clearly doesn't have a future here. Um, it's hard to see any significance in what they're doing right now. And so, but it is striking when you start, when you list the players, because I agree with your list. It's not very long, <laughs> you know, like no. Caulfield, Suzuki, Slavkowski, Newhook, Doc's not playing, obviously. Um, Gouli Matheson, that's six guys. Uh, and there aren't really many other guys in the lineup. And even if you, so if you add Doc, That's seven guys. Yeah. Multabo. Well, yeah, he's been signed. Eight and guys. He's going to be, yeah. So, so it's, it's really, you know, when, the, when we talk about how young the team is, yes, there are young players on the team, but it's, it's really not a reflection of what this team will be down the road. Like I just, I find it, 
Um, there's so many guys where you don't, you just don't know where they fit. And, you know, we, we answered questions in recent weeks, recent episodes about what are they going to do about Brandon Gallagher? You know, yeah. you talk about a guy who signed, that's a guy who signed. What are they going to do about Josh Anderson? This guy that signed, uh, you know, Jake Evans, you know, it's, it's are they just going to kind of let his contract run out? Like, what do they do? And so there's, there's, I, I find it interesting that there's a lot of parts here that are, that are not either not a part of the future or will only be a part of the future out of necessity out of because their contract is going to keep them here. You know I mean? So yeah, but there's, there, there are guys like Jack guy who could force their way and say, Hey, I, you have to yeah. include me in that core, but it's up to right. him. Jack, to I, Jack, I was told by management that he is a part of their future. That's yeah. what he was. He was told by them. So, but he does have to prove it. And again, he's not, Uh, been fantastic since he got called up from Laval. Um, had had some ups and downs. I think um, I think this will be a good learning experience for him. And I do I do think that Kane's management is sincere in their desire to have him be part of the future. It's it's definitely, but it it is interesting to me because then when you look at Laval and Joshua was on the team now, so that, I think maybe he should be added to that list. Of players who will be part of the future. But like if you look down in Laval, you got Mayu, Dobesh. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of young guys down there. It's a lot of question marks. How many marks. of them? A lot of question marks. Yeah. A lot of, of there's not that many guys that you say, oh, he's definitely, they're developing. Like Mayu's the only one in my eyes. Like there's really not that much more. I mean, Sean Farrell's a question mark. I don't think was a question mark. And if you consider Wa Laval guy, then it was was the guy. But it's 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 really they're in a it, it kind of tells you where the rebuild is because it's they're still in a transitionary state. They have some pieces, they've drafted other pieces that are not who are not professional yet or who are not in North America. Uh but within the organization itself, it's hard to spot A, a bunch of guys that will be part of this, this, this thing going forward. And it's, you know, it, it just makes you wonder how long it's going to actually take <laughs> to get to that final destination when so many of the guys aren't here yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Because you would assume that just based on talent and, and upside Hudson and Reinbacker could be added to that group, but there's not that many apart from that. So, oh. Yeah, it's uh you're right. It's it could be a long road. But you know, we we spoke at, at length in the last episode about a guy who could potentially come in to help them, uh a guy from another organization, Trevor Zegris. It got a lot of chatter obviously <laughs> throughout mm -hmm. the week. It obviously. coincided obviously with the the visit of the the Anaheim Ducks. Um but I'd like you to share your little exchange with Cole Caulfield on, on Zegers because mm -hmm. yeah, well, I, I knew he'd have something interesting to say. About yeah. That. I spoke to, uh, well, I was speaking to Caulfield on, on Wednesday and, you know, we were talking about, uh, about Slaff and about sort of the benefit of having a prove people wrong mentality. You know, Caulfield's had that his whole life um, and has used it to great effect, you know, and it's, and it's, And he talked about that. We got to talking about various things and then, you know, sort of came up. <laughs> I shouldn't say it that way. I brought up, 
um, you know, Trevor Zegris being potentially available. You know, we were joking about how many players from the 2019 draft. Oh, this is what it was. So I was asking him about having a chip on your shoulder. So I said, could you name, do you get up for teams that passed you over in the draft? Because there's a lot of players who do. You know, a lot of players remember teams that did not draft them and they really get up for games against those teams. So he said, no. And I was like, well, could you name all the teams? And he's like, probably, yeah. And he said, <laughs> and then Newhook was at the other end of the room. And he's like, you know, Newhook over there, I always remind him that he went after me. <laughs> so, so then I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of funny how many guys from the 2019 draft you have on this team, right? Ha, ha, Like, there's another guy from that draft who could be available. And then brought up Zegris. And I told him how Greg Cronin, um, you know, because after our, rec- our episode recorded, um, you know, we spoke to Greg Cronin after the Ducks morning skate and skate, and he brought up Zegers on his own as, as a part of the future. You know, he was, he was giving a lot of, he was answering a lot of questions about their rebuild and what's going on there. Very similar sort of situation to Montreal. The difference being that you look in their organization and a lot of their pieces are there. Like they've got them. They're there. Yeah. And it's, it's, there's a lot of identifiable pieces that, um, that are playing right now that are in the AHL. And in their case as well, that are that are on their way. And so um, he mentioned that Zegers is a big part of the part of their process, part of the rebuild, part of their future. And when asked about it, he really went to bat and addressed all of the things that we were talking about in the last episode. You know, the defensive lapses and this and that, yeah, and, yeah. and and you know, character questions and what have you. And and you know, he told a, an anecdote about you know a lot of a lot of a lot was written about when I benched Zegers. This is Cronin talking. I'm paraphrasing. But he said a lot. There was a lot of talk about what happened when I benched Zegers in the third period in Columbus because he made a lot of turnovers. Um, well, when we won that game in overtime, the first guy waiting to congratulate all his teammates in the room was Trevor Zegers. You know, and, and he said I thought that really spoke to his character and him being a team first guy because he could have just moped and sulked and been like unhappy that he sat the whole third period, but he was just as happy as everyone else and wanted to congratulate his teammates for going and getting a, a win. So. Um, I mentioned to, to Caulfield that Cronin uh, had done this, that he'd gone to bat for his buddy and that he was, you know, he sort of backed him up and, and wanted to get this narrative sort of nipped in the bud. And uh, Caulfield sort of off the cuff was like, ah, oh, he did, did he? Ah, nah, we could still get him. <laughs> He's kind of walked away. <laughs> I think he was joking. I think yeah. he was joking, but, you know, it'd be funny if uh, – then I mentioned to him that that Kako Kako might be available for a trade, who they obviously face and who scored uh, against the Canadians. And then they would have, as we mentioned in the last episode, the second and third pick from 2019. But if you throw Zegers in there and Caulfield and Newhook, that'd be a lot. That'd be, what, five of the first 16 picks in that draft on the yeah. same team. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but just so further it was, to that. I it think- was jokingly, but at the same time, I'm sure that he would love to have his buddy. I'm sure he would. Yeah, I'm sure he would. And it it was probably more of a joke than anything, but um, well, it definitely was. Let me make that clear. He was, he was, he was kidding around, but I thought it's, it's worth, I just wanted to bring up what, what Cronin said because of everything that we talked about in terms of Zegris. And it was interesting to me that the coach would um, go so far out of his way. Listen, he knew where he was too. And he's heard the rumors. He's heard all the chatter, uh, you know, there's been so many people who have said Zegers to Montreal would be a good fit. Uh, and so he was aware, you know, and like when he mentioned Zegers as a part of the future, you know, I brought that up again and that's when he kind of went 
in all these directions and talked about how, yes, they want to address his defensive game, but he is fully engaged in that. He found him to be a very coachable player. Um, one thing he mentioned is that uh, when he first got the job as the Ducks coach, yeah. uh, he looked into Zegris's history. And the guy who recruited Zegris to go to Boston University and the guy who coached him at Boston University was Albie O'Connell. Albie O'Connell, up until this year, was a scout for the Canadians. He was a college scout. He left the team uh, last offseason. So um, if Greg Cronin went to Albie O'Connell to find out about Trevor Zegers, I have no doubt that Ken Hughes would have any trouble getting uh, Albie O'Connell's phone number to talk to him about Zegers as well, if that were to be the case. But he but he mentioned you know, that, that O'Connell said the first thing he said about him was that he's coachable. And, and the Cronin's experience – that's what he's found. And so, you know, the way he was talking about um, two things became clear. A, he, under, he he's heard all the chatter. He knows what's out there. Uh, and B, if it seemed like if it were up to him, he would rather keep that guy. Uh, it's not up to him, of course. It's up to someone. It's up to his boss, um, Pat Verbeek, who was, who was at the game on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, must not have liked what he saw from his ducks. That was a... To quote Michelle Therrien, that was a pathetic performance. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but prior to that game, that's what that's what Cronin was talking about with Trevor Zegers. So I think it, it was only to give fair time. Like last week, we said a lot of things about him. Is it, it was interesting to hear this perspective on on that guy? It doesn't make Trevor Zegers any less or any more of an interesting fit for the Canadians. But it was it was if anything, it makes him even more appealing to the Canadians. If you hear a coach who's as hard nosed as Cronin is um, really go to bat for a guy like Zegras. It was, it was interesting to see. And who's willing to recognizes that the player is willing to get better and be coachable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's encouraging. All right. Let's uh, let's uh, switch back to uh, Montreal Canadians players. Um, over the weekend, you know, we talked, we just mentioned the game against Anaheim over the weekend, the, Evans, Pearson, Anderson line was really bad. But then mm -hmm. they got better against Anaheim, especially Evans and, and Pearson. Yeah. And then last night, Josh Anderson played his best game in a long time. He was yeah. extremely visible. He was a force. He was really – it was a power horse type of game from from Sean, nice. uh, Josh Anderson. So that line as a whole um, – was the Canadians best, the most visible. They created a ton of chances. Uh -huh. uh, it was nice to see Jake Evans being involved offensively uh, for the second game in a row, uh, scoring for the second game in a row, which he has not done often in his career. Um, I think I showed a graphic. Apparently he's done it. I think it was oh, the third time. It, it was, the, it was third the third time, time, which I was I was a little shocked <laughs> to see that. I couldn't. I was I was surprised. Well, you know, when they score, they come in bunches. Yeah, I guess they do. Yeah, <laughs> I guess they do. But he had he had six shots on. Uh, he had six shots at five on five in that game. So that's yeah. uh, so obviously. Uh, or do you have six shots? Period. Yeah, six shots on goal on eight yeah. attempts. Pretty good. Yeah, it is good. It is good. Yeah. It must be seven for nineteen in the faceoff dot, but still. But yeah, yeah. Well. The Canadians, since they moved Monaghan, are not they were not the same team at the faceoff circle. They well, they were fifty three percent with him, north of fifty three percent, and they're at forty seven now. So small. Well, sample. I mean, you swap out you swap out Monaghan for Newhook. 
Monahan. What did I say? Manahan? Monahan. That's Freudian slip. Freudian Manahan. Um, swap out Monahan for Newhook in the face-off circle, and for sure you're gonna. I mean, Newhook was three for ten last night. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, but yeah. So so I wanted to uh, to bring up that line, uh, but especially Tanner Pearson, because mm-hmm. he's one guy who struggled to because of injuries, because of uh, I think. Uh, sometimes styling fit or at least fit on a line struggled to really find his way in a Montreal Canadiens uniform. And now he's going to be a UFA at the end of the season. Uh, what do you see yeah. in the future for, for, for Pearson? Well, I think, you know, Pearson, Pearson has some runway here to show that he can be useful. Um, He's not really, I mean, you know, he's not being used on the penalty kill right now. He's being used on the power play. He's not being all that effective. I mean, five on five, yes, his play has improved. But the problem with Pearson is his ticket. You know, he's got $3.25 million. It'd be practically impossible for the Canadians to trade him without retaining salary. And even at that, you're not getting a whole lot for him. So, it's his. I think Tanner Pearson's future is he's going to hit the UFA market come July first. Like it's just you know it's not. It doesn't seem like he could even in the, in the next three weeks that he could so drastically change the outlook of what's gone on for him this season because he did have another good stretch. He had the he started the season well at the beginning. You remember, yeah, yeah. at the yeah. beginning, him, sure. Monahan, and Gallagher. That was the line. The three redemption stories. Yeah. Um, and they were playing well. You know, they were doing really well. And then he fell off a cliff and, and couldn't produce for a long time. And then he got hurt. So I, I have trouble seeing a team. Well, I don't have trouble. I find it, I think it's impossible that any team would be willing to take him with no retention. Um, teams that would have any interest in him wouldn't have that kind of cap space. They're very rare. The teams that are buying that have that kind of money to, to, to spend on a player who's, as low impact as Tanner Pearson is. And I just don't, I just don't see the Canadians using their last slot on Tanner Pearson. I think I much, I think the Canadians would much rather use that slot to facilitate someone else's trade and get paid for that. than they would to lose Tanner Pearson because even Tanner Pearson, whatever he brings back, uh, Tanner Pearson himself as a body to fill out the NHL lineup until the end of the season um, might have more value to the Canadians. Like just being an NHL guy that you can play regularly as opposed to having to bring someone up from Laval who might not be necessarily ready for it or that they don't want playing in Montreal because Laval's still trying to make the playoffs in the AHL. Like there's all sorts of reasons why. So it's encouraging for Tanner Pearson that he's playing better. And I don't think it has a huge impact on what the Canadians will wind up doing between now and March 8th, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there's no way that they could trade him without retaining salary. There's, I don't, I don't zero, see that. Zero percent chance. Zero percent. Yeah. So even if let's say they retain half of his salary at 1.625, that's what basically yeah. If, it, if they retain fifty percent, that's that's an affordable 
ticket for, for the team acquiring him. But even if the Canadians were to receive a mid-round prospect for him at that price, I mean, I don't you, see that you happening. Use, you, you, but even if it was to happen, what's the use of another fifth-round pick for the Montreal Canadiens there's, there's no. by, by using this retention slot? If you can keep it, you know, Jake Allen, we'll get to that in a second, but Jake um, Kent Hughes was on on Pierre's podcast earlier this week. And, you know, if if it doesn't get worked out prior to trade deadline, it can all, always be worked out in the summer. But if you want to move... Um, if you want to move Jake Allen's contract on the last year of his contract, it, it might be useful uh, prior to trade uh, to July 1st or even after. But anyway, you could you try to use that uh, that retention slot for Jake Allen. But if, if you only, if you use it only to get another fifth round in return for for Pearson, I don't think that it's very productive. And him for himself, he might think that he might not make the playoffs this year. But all in all, he might be better off showcasing himself in a in a higher role in Montreal than as a supporting cast for a contending team. Well, it's clear that, just for the record, Tanner Pearson is not dying to get traded, but he would not be opposed to it. I mean, it's pretty clear. If he could play his way into a situation that a winning team would want him and like his pedigree would be appealing to someone as like a last-second ad – Um, cause you never know. I mean, it's, it's, you know, we're talking the numbers 3.25, 1.625. I mean, these are their full season salaries, right? I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's different. Um, no, they're prorated till the, for the number. They're prorated days, through the end. And yeah, so there's, yeah. there's, there's, most of it has been paid at this point. And so, mm -hmm. you know, his remaining cap hit right now is a shade over one. Uh, it's 1 million. 50,000 roughly. Uh, so he'll be under a million by deadline day. Um, probably a fair bit under a million. So maybe at the very last second, if a team is like, you know, I'd like to have a little extra insurance. We didn't use this money. A trade that they wanted to make didn't work out. Maybe we'll take his whole boat because we don't need this money anyway, and it's 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 now or never kind of thing, and it only costs us a six round pick. In that case, absolutely trade it for a six round pick, no problem. But um, that retention slot is valuable, and then the question is whether the Canadians will even reach that point with that retention slot because I believe if a team calls them asking them to broker a deal and 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 retain money on a player that another team's trying to acquire and they can get a third round pick for it or whatever, second or whatever, uh, the Canadians are going to jump at that. And at, at which point, um, at which point that would be the only option is that Pierce, someone would have to take Pearson at the full boat. So someone's willing to do that. Well, yeah, then, then sure. There's, yeah. Then there's no <laughs> doubt. There's no doubt that he will get traded, but it'd be very hard to see. Yeah. You know, it's a very specific, like that scenario I just laid out there. It's basically the only scenario under which he gets traded. I find that's in my opinion. Maybe I'll eat these words, but I think uh, I think that's really where that stands. But good for him that he's playing better. You know, I, I really do. You know, he's a likable guy. He's gone through a lot. Um, he's a pretty good hockey player. I mean, he's he's not the fleetest of foot, but he's useful. 
useful as sort of a grinder. Um, and so if he plays well from now till the end of the season, maybe he can earn himself another contract somewhere. But I think well, that's kind of where it's not. I don't think it is the end of the road for him. But I don't think so just, either. But. No, no, no. It's just going to be a more modest price. Well, I don't. I think it's the end of it's the end of multi-year contracts for for more than a million dollars for Tanner Pearson. I, I don't think that's going to happen. But um, but Anderson and you know we shouldn't kind of we just shouldn't glaze over the fact that Anderson had a good game. Um, I, I, I'm trying to figure this guy out. Like the season's been so difficult for him. It would be good for him and good for the organization if he were able to find some level of consistency over the last, you know, six weeks of the season, seven weeks, whatever's left. Yeah. Um, and, and, and show what he can do again. And frankly, if he does it for a while, who knows this off season, man, honestly, like it's, if he has a good stretch to end the season, if he plays, you know, what's, what's left just under 30 games. Um, if he could pop some goals and, and show what he can do. Uh, maybe that gives some ammunition for Kenny Hughes to, to go and and do something in the off season. Cause I, I think as we mentioned last episode or the episode before, like he is, there are a number of scouts who will always have time for Josh Anderson. And there are a number of GMs who will always have time for someone who has a package like Josh Anderson's. And all you need is a team to feel like they got bullied out of the playoffs. And that team, that, that team's GM might be willing to have a conversation about a guy like that. Yeah. It's, it's just that the Canadians, since there's still three more years of contract for, for Anderson after this one, they must not, they just need to make sure that they're not selling him low. They have to wait until the time that his value is picked up again, and it certainly has not happened this season. So it would be. Oh, great you have to weigh the value. One. Yeah, you have to weigh his value versus the value of the cap space he'd be freeing up. Because yeah. Canadians are not going to retain on Josh Hamilton for three years. Let's let's be let's make that clear. Like it would for him to be moved, he would have to be moved as a full yeah, boat yeah. kind of thing. Sure. So. That in and of itself has some value. So even if you don't get the value back that you feel you deserve, and yes, you're 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 selling low, but you also have to make a calculated decision. Listen, when jo when they when they traded Joel Edmondson uh, last summer, that was a trade where they really didn't know uh, what Joel Edmondson what was gonna what was gonna happen with Joel Edmondson. Like it, that was a case of just getting what you can when when you can while you can before that assets value gets completely diminished or becomes impossible to move um no josh anderson is obviously three years left but it's you know he's he's hitting he's hit 30 or on the verge of hitting 30 uh he's still 29 yeah he's 29 so i mean he'll be 30 soon <laughs> Uh, and he's been and he's been healthy, you know. He's he's a guy who's been you know hampered by injuries quite a bit over the course of his career. Uh -huh. But the fact that he's remained be, healthy, it's it'll be thirty in May. Yeah, it's yeah. a good sign. The fact that he he can prove that he can stay healthy, it's a, yeah. I think it's a big part of of uh, of the upside that he can bring, and the fact that he has not he hasn't lost a step, you know, in terms of his of his speed, and he's got that package as you mentioned. So. 
you know, either the Canadians, either he increases his value and they find a taker for him in the offseason or next year, or the Canadians, they keep him and they become good enough so that he can help them once they're a playoff team again, which would also yeah. be a nice conclusion to the whole thing. So, yeah. Um, so, so speaking of, I guess, well, Jake Allen is the other kind of yeah. side tentacle of that retention argument. Um, just to, uh, you know, Ken Hughes, you mentioned, was on Pierre Lebrun and Ryan Rashog's podcast uh, this week and, and really laid out the case for not being in a rush to trade Jake Allen. If he doesn't trade Jake Allen by March 8th, he feels relatively confident he'll be able to do something in the draft or do something in the summer with either Jake Allen or Caden Primo. But he basically committed on that podcast, and it's not that different from what he said in the past publicly in general, that he's going to resolve this by – he will not go into next season with three goaltenders. That's sort of what he said. And I think there's – it's funny. Elliot Friedman recently, I think in one of his 32 Thoughts written things, uh, wrote uh, – there's a book on Ken Hughes, um, which I was disappointed to hear because I was kind of hoping I would write the book on Ken Hughes at some point. But it's like there's a book on Ken Hughes that he sets his price and he sticks to it and he'll he'll wait until he gets it. Uh, this, I think, was in reference. Elliot's been reporting all season, basically, that Ken Hughes has set a price on Jake Allen and refuses to move him until he gets that price. Um, I'm of the impression that that price is based on retaining on Jake Allen. It's not based on just trading Jake Allen, um, that there's a certain retention price that he's going to stick to. And I I believe that to be true. Um, But it's, it's like, to me, one of the books on Ken Hughes is how he is constantly sending little messages through his media appearances that he's not in a rush to do anything. This has been happening. This has happened on numerous occasions. Joel Edmondson last year Lekinen. said that. Lekkonen, mm-hmm. Petrie twice. Mm-hmm. Um, not the second time, to be fair. He didn't say that he – actually, he said the opposite the second time. But the first time was like, we don't have to trade this guy. Um, it's always been this message that we're not forced to do anything. We're not desperate to do anything. So if you don't want to – if you don't want to give me what I feel is fair value here – or I think in the case of Jake Allen, if you don't want to, if you're not willing to take him without retention, then maybe I just won't trade him because it, it might not. It's if you're not going to make it worth it for me to retain on on Jake Allen for this the rest of this year and next year, then I can just keep him. Yeah. And this is kind of how you know this is kind of how Ken Hughes likes to sort of set markets. For his own guys, I mean, you just have to look at the way the Monahan trade went down. There was no reason for it to go down as quickly as it did. Well, I think that he for Monahan, he did have his set. He had a price. He had mind. a set, he had a price in mind. He and did, but he why did it happen right after Lindholm? What did the where did the urgency come from for that trade to be made? It came from Ken Hughes. You listen to Kevin Sheveldayoff talk about that trade after it happened. Everything he said, there were all these little clues. You never know what another team's timeline is going to be. All these things he kept mentioning. It was a renewed, the, a renewed sense of urgency. A renewed sense of urgency. The events of this week or the activity around the break created more urgency for this deal. He was all these. If you look at every answer he gave, it became obvious 
that the Canadians basically gave him an ultimatum mm-hmm. and he had to move on it. So um, when you hear Ken Hughes say, I don't have to trade player X, in this case, Jake Allen, by March 8th, that's kind of what he's doing. To my, in my eyes, he's saying, you want this guy? You're either going to have to take him without retention, in which case you can basically have him not for free, but you could. I'm not going to haggle over price if you take him with no retention. But if you want me to retain, there's going to be a price on it, and you're going to have to pay it. Otherwise, I have no problem keeping him. And so that's, you know, at this time of year, I think that was very crafted messaging from the Canadians GM on that, on that file. Well, I think it's perfectly normal that he wants to control the agenda, control the message as much as possible, send the at least the perception that it's not the other general managers that are going to dictate his course of action, that he's comfortable with where he is, with every each and every of his players. Uh, so it's normal. I think it's good GMing to portray that. What I mm-hmm. wonder, though, is when it comes to Jake Allen, isn't he in a situation where other teams might call his bluff to a certain extent, you know? I was speaking to someone from another team yesterday who said they could put him on waivers and he would not be picked up. Yeah. So. I mean, well, because for him to be picked up on waivers, you'd have to pick up his whole contract. Yeah. That's why he wouldn't be picked up. That's why Primo would. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, that's the whole game here with Jake Allen is the contract, is the money. And, and what price the Canadians feel they should be paid to pick up the money next year. That's the but, game. Yeah, we just we just spoke. I know it's another season, but we just talked about Pearson. How how unlikely it would be that somebody would pick up his old contract? Let's say it's the same through the, this idea of waivers with Jake Allen. Even if you were to retain fifty percent on Jake Allen for next year, that doesn't all of a sudden skyrocket his value to being like a high draft pick or a quality prospect or anything. So it's okay to to set your demands, but if If you don't raise the interest of anybody for a guy, if you eat all of his contract, I I cannot imagine that all of a sudden, because he retained 50%, he becomes a very, very valuable asset. He has, he gains some value. I disagree. I disagree completely. I mean, it doesn't, not the, well, very, very valuable. I mean, it depends on what you call very, very valuable. I compare his value at full contract to being close to nothing. I mean, honestly, I don't know what they would expect. I would imagine if someone came up to him and said, we'll give you a sixth round pick and we'll take his contract off your hands. Can't use it. Be like done (laughs) deal. But I think the retention is where, is where the, the, the money, the value comes in. That's where they're, they're they're going to extract value because it's a pain in the ass for them to retain on Jake Allen. For sure. That puts them in two retention slots next year. So yeah, so that's, it's, it's the value is, you know, a player's value on the market is is set by the team that's trading him, especially when they don't feel an urgency to trade him. You know, and, and when there's one season left on Jake Allen's contract at the draft and there's potentially other teams interested in adding a veteran second goalie or a tandem goalie, um, trading him without retention with a salary cap bump coming and everything and all the teams having sort of a financial reset at the draft without retention becomes more of a possibility. And so I think if it's, if it's between trading him with retention at, at the deadline 
for a middling asset or waiting till the draft and trading him with no retention for a middling asset. You take door door number two is the more favorable one to take. But if you if you're convinced, sure. if a team convinces you with something more than a middling asset to trade him before the deadline and eat money on him, but it has to be a significant asset for you to do so. That's why I think his value goes up if they retain, because in the Canadians' eyes, that's the only reason they would retain is if they got good value. So it's 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 less to do with what other teams are willing to pay. It's more to do with what the Canadians would set that price as. Yeah. But at some point, if he's on the record saying that he doesn't want to go with three goalies next season. So at some point it becomes one becomes tied up to the other takes two to tango because you'll, you'll need to find a team that's going to meet that price. Well, it's easier to tango when you have six different dance partners at the draft, you know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. As opposed yeah, yeah. to, and, and as I opposed think, to one or two, you know? Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a higher possibility that it might happen over the summer. There's a, Different outlook on 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 uh, on your your payroll, uh, on your needs, on your your potential you know uh, the, the 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 potential trade partners. So there's there's definitely a lot more possibilities around the draft or even after July first for you know that's that's not impossible either. But no. anyway, when you talked about middling prospect, that I think that's where. <laughs> That's the territory we're within, we're in right now. I suspect. Um, well, I think, yeah, if he gets traded at the draft or in the off season, I think he might bring back a middling asset. You know, whether that's a mid round pick or or a prospect. But mm -hmm. that's what I think. I think you have to go above middling to get the Canadians to retain on him before the deadline. Like that's my that's what I'm saying is that okay. he might not be worth that, but he, you're gonna have to pay that. To get the Canadians to do that, like I don't think the Canadians, the Canadians have very little interest in retaining money on Jake Allen next year. That's the yeah. sense I get. So, yeah. and you also can't discount the possibility that they trade Caden Primo. I find it that's also pretty unlikely before the deadline. But at the draft, that would be it's a out of the box at this point. Yeah, they would need it's to play him a ton. They would need to play him a lot and have him become clearly the number two goalie on this team until the end of the season to prove that he's on that right trajectory that we've seen in very limited action so far. This well, season. I think teams, because, you know, I, I think well, obviously the Canadians have been convinced they wouldn't make it through waivers all season. And yeah. uh, so there's at least one team out there that's interested in him to some extent. Uh, if you, if you trade for him, And then you could try to sneak him through waivers, send him to the American League if he doesn't work out. Whereas if you claim him on waivers, you have to keep him on the roster or else you got to put him back on waivers. Yeah, it amounts to the same thing, but it's always a possibility. $809,000 cap hit, RFA at the end of that, at the end of next year. It remains a possibility. It's just, it's not outside the realm of possibility that that is also something that, that the Canadians look at. Once they have the clarity of the season being behind them, so it's mm -hmm. um, it's it's there as a possibility. Just want to throw that out there. Um, uh, hey, you you mentioned uh, can't use, but how about his uh, his colleague and and boss to a certain extent? Uh, just a quick word on uh, 
on Jeff Gorton, and you know there he's been he's been linked to the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, because of his past history with John Davidson with the New York Rangers. Um, obviously, after Yarmo Kekalainen got the boot uh, in Columbus, there's an opening, there's a vacancy for a GM position. Personally, I. I don't see how Gorton would go from vice president of hockey ops to returning to a GM role. It would be, it would be a demotion. So he would, he would need to really want to be like the, the one guy deciding everything and make sure that Davidson doesn't have, you know, that both hands into whatever he would be doing in order to accept a move like this. But career wise, I would find it strange if it was to happen, honestly. Well, listen, I mean, this is something, I mean, Darren Dreger tweeted this on Thursday, yeah. not long after the news of Kekalainen being fired dropped, uh, 12.05 p.m. Um, you know, he says, mentions the history with Davidson and, and Gordon being a GM at heart. Um, guys like Darren Dreger don't just randomly tweet things like that. Like he's obviously heard that whether it's from Davidson himself or someone in the organization or someone close to him, that this is someone that Davidson would like to hopefully pursue. Um, mm -hmm. And why wouldn't he, you know, they do have a history together. They, they, they presumably worked well together. They both got fired together by the Rangers. Um, but yeah, I find it, You know, it's one thing for John Davidson or whoever in Columbus to say, yeah, we'd really like to, to see if we could do this. Um, it would be a demotion for Jeff Gordon. It would be Jeff Molson's right to not grant that permission. Uh, I would think that Jeff Gordon would want to see this through, just as you kind of mentioned. But there is – this is coming from somewhere is my point. You know, you can't – you don't just – it's not just – a well-respected journalist shooting off the hip, you know, kind of like here, here's off, oh, off the top of my head, here's something I think. Um, this clearly comes from somewhere. So whether the Canadians would be open to that, whether Jeff Gorton would even be open to that, I think Darren Drager was on, was on Montreal Radio on TSN 690 this morning, and even he stated he has no idea the level of interest Jeff Gorton would have in this, but he would fully expect Columbus to to reach out and ask permission. So it's obviously coming from somewhere, someone in Columbus. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, anything's possible. Anything's possible. You know, maybe Jeff Gordon wants to move back to the States. Maybe he doesn't, you know, he's never really lived in Canada before. Like maybe anything's possible. I don't know, but I would think he would want to see the, see what he started through. Yeah. In Montreal. I, think, I think so too. And, The other thing is that Jeff Molson, I think, firmly believes now in having two people at yeah. the top of, of hockey management. And it would need, I think that Kent Hughes would need a bit more seasoning. If, if the Canadians have any sort of say in whatever happens to Gorton, I mean, they cannot, at some point, if he wants to leave, he would have to go at the end of his contract. But... Uh, I could very well see in a few years down the road, Kent Hughes having a bit more experience, being a bit less <laughs> excitable from <laughs> the, the everyday, everyday hockey ops and taking on the role of a VP and yeah. in his turn, getting a, a, a greener 
you know, general manager to work in tandem with him. And then mm -hmm. Gorton could tr start a new project and do do his thing somewhere else. But in the short term, that that would be weird because they started, they're really invested in a project. I think that when you use the expression seeing it through, that's that's exactly it. You're, yeah. You're in, you're in the process that you started, that you believe in, and you're seeing the, the, the wheels starting to turn and you're going to turn to an organization that forces you just to, to, you know, to go back three spots, like on the, on, on the, on the board, you know, if you're playing, uh, if you're playing a board game, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it would be a weird career move. I mean, Hey, if it happens, it happens. That's okay. But personally, I, I don't. I understand the connection with uh, with Davidson, yeah. but I've but now Gorton's not there anymore. Gorton's now in the hockey uh, hockey circles, and in terms of responsibilities, he's an equal to Davidson. Whereas yeah, in exactly in New York, he was he was to Davidson what now he, what he is to uh, to Kent Hughes. Yeah, or Hugh, or what Hughes is to him. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, listen. I mean, all this is to say that Darren Dreger doesn't just make stuff like that up. <laughs> We no. both know Darren Dreger. It's not, he doesn't just, he's not just sitting on his phone having a beer and being like, yeah, you know what would be funny? <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if John Davidson went after John Gordon, Jeff Gordon? Like, let me, let me throw that out there. No, these yeah. things come uh, from somewhere. So it's not just him just hypothesizing yeah there's there's probably going to be a call at some point from someone in columbus to montreal whether jeff molson accepts it or not uh is up to him um okay it's time for future friday future friday future future friday future future friday future future friday it is future future friday all right nice Jingle I'll let you go this time. Yeah, I was you did. asked. You did. Yeah, I was yeah there are some listeners that asked me to let you go. So yeah. hey, enjoy. Play it on repeat, you know, to your heart's content. That is. I'll just press I was, skip. you know, yeah. No, it's, I thought it was a good jingle. I'm going to try and work on it for next week. I'll work on it for next week. Okay, so this week uh, we decided we would look at um, three of the Canadians' prospects in the OHL. And I think this is worth mentioning. Earlier this season – Uh, we did a podcast. We we kind of had a little fun with uh, with Nick Bobra's use of the word unicorn to describe uh, Florian Jackai. Um, you know, we thought I think we thought it was a bit much, um, and it might still be. But we should say that right now Florian Jackai has 25 goals in 49 games in the OHL. His yeah. previous high, on at least on his lead prospects page, his previous high as a goal scorer with 17 goals in 48 games with the Junior B Pelham Panthers of the Ontario Greater Junior Hockey League. Uh, so he has well surpassed that. In his last 10 games, he has 10 goals, one assist for 11 points, which is an excellent, excellent Cy Young candidacy. Yes. Um, in his last four games, he's got six goals, one assist, seven points. Uh He was a late draft. He was, he was, he was an overage draft pick. Um, what do you, what do you, what do you make of this? You make anything of this? I think it's, it's obviously encouraging, but, um, you look it's, at his frame, you overage, look at his, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I understand. I think that if he had done this as an 18 year old, 
I mean, look, is 19-year-old season right now, in t- strictly in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, uh, of points, looks a lot like Josh Anderson when he was 19 with the London uh-huh. Knights. Obviously, that goes back 10 years ago. Uh, production have, levels have changed a little bit since then. But you could, you could argue that it's, it, yeah, it's similar. So there's, there's a possibility there that he, they could pan out to be, he could pan out to be like a, a comparable, similar big guy and he skates fairly well. Uh, maybe not as Josh Anderson, but still. Um, uh-huh. But at the same time, he's 19 years old. And to me, I wouldn't get too carried away with a guy who's producing at 19 in juniors because that's that's what you expect, no? I mean, not, if when you you don't, not where you weren't drafted in your draft year. You don't expect it. I know, but he was he was drafted fourth round as an overage player. It, now he gets into the he, he he's gets in whatever he was drafted. Now he's considered as a guy who's a prospect. Uh-huh. He, he's deemed. He's eligible for Future Friday, man. So he's eligible uh, for Future Friday. Well, he's, he's in. <laughs> that's it. He's, so, he's he's drafted. You know, that's that's that that's definitely makes him eligible. So yeah. So among drafted guys, I mean, this is this is the level of for for a forward for a guy who who's not who's there because yeah because he's big and he's got also some offensive acumen. Uh-huh. It's it's certainly encouraging. It go it it suggests that they. They have not missed the target, but am I like getting all so excited because he's he's getting his for his best season at 19? Yeah, it's good, but to me, I, I reserve my his, judgment. His numbers, his numbers are better than Josh Anderson at 19. Just just for the record, I mean, Josh Anderson was not a point of game player. He was 49 points in 68 games. He had 23 goals. What's wild is that Josh Anderson was a fourth no, round no, no, pick. No, no. Club. That, that said, he was 18 back then. Look it up. I'm looking at it right now. He's his yeah, 19. Yeah, tw- no, he's 19. His 19 year. 27 goals in 59 games. And 19. Oh, right. Yeah. He started the year at 19. Gotcha. That was the year the year after he was drafted. Yeah, his D plus which one. Was his, right? Which is his D plus one. Right. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. But what's crazy is that Josh Anderson, that you bring him up, is that Josh Anderson was the 95th overall pick, fourth round pick, Columbus. And Jack, I was 101. Yep. Fourth round pick, hmm. almost similar. Okay, um, so but, anyhow, but so things I, th- he's, he's he's on the right track. There's certainly yeah, you know. a source of encouragement there. He's doing highlight reel goals. There's yeah. a, there's a buzz around him that that wasn't there at all over the summer or even at the beginning of the season. He got into the conversation. That's that's a good right. thing about Jack. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. In summary, I I care and and you don't. That's that's how. It is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Owen Beck Owen Beck is another guy we want to talk about because Owen Beck since being traded to the Saginaw Spirit has uh, 26 points in 16 games he had 30 points in 25 games with Peterborough prior to the trade his last four games he has six goals three assists nine points he is not only him though it's worth mentioning Saginaw as a team is a truck I mean they just yeah. they score goals in bunches, but really for a guy who the organization wanted to see his offensive potential shine, being on a team like Saginaw and producing 
at the pace that he's producing, which frankly, in his time in the OHL, he has not produced points at a rate this high um, than he has in his 16 games with Saginaw is probably a good thing development wise. And the fact that he's got a guaranteed spot in the Memorial Cup and all that thing. But seeing Owen Beck pop offensively, I've got to think people in Montreal are pretty happy about that. For sure, for sure. When you talk about his production, it's one since he got traded to Saginaw, his point production is 1.63 per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you look at the leading scorers in the OHL, um, for, over the course of the whole season, uh, if he was if he had maintained that rhythm over the course of the whole season, 1.63 point per game uh, would be best. It would be sixth best in the OHL. So that's been his cadence since he's been traded from Peterborough. So this is very encouraging. When you're when you're like you become the leading forward, the lead forward on on a very high caliber team, that's always good news. And we know already that he's got defensive acumen, he's got other things going for him. Mm-hmm. Uh so even though it might not be the sign that he's up for great things offensively, at some point you need to dominate at, at that level. You need to have an impact on both ends of the ice because too often I hear about 200-foot player, which means defensive player, but 200-foot mm-hmm. player means that you have an impact on both ends. And you need to see, we need to see that impact on the offensive zone for, for Beck, and we're definitely seeing it now in Saginaw. So it, it, it is very encouraging. I think that he's the next step for him is when, when he gets into those most meaningful games, uh, you know, if he enters that, when he enters the, the Memorial cup tournament, I want him to raise the bar and be a difference maker on his team. That's, yeah. can you not only produce points or, 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 you know, or, or block tons of shot or whatever in a big game, Are you a game changer at that level, at the, at the OHL level? So uh-huh. I think it'll be the next thing, next step to see. But I think that the Montreal Canadiens must be super excited with the guy that they've got there. Uh, it's 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 a he was you know he was drafted early in the second round, but he was first round talent. Yeah, yeah, definitely first round talent, and he, uh, you know, he's you know when we were talking earlier about who is part of the future, who will be on the team when they're successful. Uh, it's hard not to see Owen Beck on the team when they're successful. You know, whether that's, I, I think it's probably at least two years away, but, um, you know, I could see him. And, and the question for me, and I think the question that he has to answer himself with his performance is, is he going to just be a bottom six guy mm. or can he, Can he somehow become an option higher up in the lineup? Can he, can he prove that? But if he becomes, to me, if he becomes a third line center for the Canadians, like that's a win. You win. You get, you got, you picked up a, a solid two way center, two way center who can produce out of the third line spot, uh, early in the second round, very early in the second round. First pick of the second round, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah. Uh, then you've done, You've done well, I think. I think you've done well. If you've got a top nine centerman, and there's nothing wrong, there's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, last season with Peterborough, by the way, he had he had 16 points in 22 games, which was less than his regular season production with them. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was it was okay. 
but I would agree that having sort of an impactful postseason would be would would be something that the organization would want to see as well. Anyway, he was on a very low scoring team. Peterborough was not uh, was not very effective. Right, but. But I think that with Beck, you when you mentioned third line, uh, third line center is maybe even more. I think that it's the range to make a comparison. I think that it'll be interesting to see if he becomes Jake Evans or if he becomes Philip Dano. You know, to me there is a yeah, exactly the, the 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 huge win, the home run swing would be that he becomes Philip Dano. Yeah, but he he might be just Jake Evans. Who knows? But I think that there's. There's a lot in his game that screams NHL player, which is already very satisfying. So we'll we'll see. It's it's, it's going and to frankly, be a very interesting development project for the Canadians. Owen Beck's presence doesn't bode that well for Jake Evans's ability to be part of the future of this club. I mean, that's that's also the other reality. I mean, Jake Evans has you know another year under contract at 1.7 mil. You know, that is the year where you would assume Owen Beck is playing Laval and then Jake Evans is the UFA. And so is a year in Laval going to be enough for Owen Beck? I would tend to think so just because of the sort of the pro style game he plays right now. Um, could be just a perfect, just a total handing of the torch from one guy to the <laughs> from next. From one to the other, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the, I guess the third. The third guy in the OHL is is Philip Michar, and I remember yeah. we had we had a, a Future Friday focused only on him. Actually, I think we had two very early in the season because he was uh, doing so well. Exactly. Now, not so well. But I wonder if you know he missed a few games because of a hit to the head. Uh, not wow. too long ago, only I, I think it was barely more than a week. Uh, but he's had three goals and four assists in his past 11 games. Now he's up to 39 points in 30 games. Kitchener is, has gone through a rough patch. They won only two of their last 10 games, one in regulation, uh -huh. one in overtime. But are you – the fact that he's he, going, he goes through these dips in juniors, is it is it a source of concern for you? Well, I think that the source of concern is, that, is the deja vu kind of nature of it. Listen, it's – You know, last season, uh, Philip Mishar was going really well, went to the World Juniors, came back, wasn't so good. Um, so last season, before the World Junior Championships, now this is obviously, he's a year younger, um, yeah. not a year where you're expected to produce in the OHL. So at that age, having played 17 games, putting up 10 goals, 12 assists, 22 points, is pretty good, frankly. Uh, more than a point a game at that age. Great. Yeah. Um, came back, 35 games played, seven goals, 22 assists, 29 points. Um, you know, going from 10 goals in 17 games to seven goals in 35 games, a little bit concerning. Um, one of those episodes where that you referred to, uh, I had spoken to Mike McKenzie about him, the GM in Kitchener, and he said that, yes, the production wasn't there. We felt that there were other parts of his game that were being rounded out um, during that time. Uh, which they were seeing the results of this season. So this season, prior to the World Junior Championships, uh, Meshire played 20 games with Kitchener, had 13 goals, 19 assists, 32 points in those 20 games. And as you mentioned, since returning from the World Junior Championships, three goals, four assists, uh, seven points in 10 games. So it's to me, it's 
yes, that he has these dips and he, listen, he still has time to get out of this dip. Like this, this is not necessarily going to define the rest of the season, but the fact that both times the world junior championship seemed to, in some way, bust his momentum, even though, um, you know, you would think playing at a higher caliber and playing in a big stage event sort of would sort of give you a boost in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, both times it didn't do that. It hasn't so far. I don't want to, I don't want to say for Meshar that this is going to be what it's going to be, but, um, and as you mentioned, the injury could have something to do with it or, but that was pretty recent. So it's, it's, it would be, it would be good for the Canadians to see him, uh, finish the season strong, especially after last season, how it finished after the world juniors. Like, you know, you don't want this to become a narrative where you start out great, you finish slowly and that extends into your pro career. You become Brian Savage essentially. And, and, and you don't, you don't really, <laughs> you don't really play when the games are most important. That's not something that you want attached to you. Um, no. being so, Mr. Being Mr. October in baseball Mr. October, is great. Yeah. In hockey, not so much. Hockey, not so much. So, um, let's see what he ha- let's see what happens. We'll keep an eye on it, but so far, been pretty average since uh, since his return from the World Juniors. Yeah, so so Jacki trending up, Beck trending up, Meshar trending down. I really wonder ultimately where he's going to find himself in the in, you know in the list of the if we had to picture a list of the Canadians' prospects where Meshar would land. Uh, Well, that's his disadvantage. Like that's like Beck. It's it, to me. It's clear that Beck's going to be on the team when they're good. Like I, I, I would be stunned if Owen Beck was not playing on the Canadians when they become a consistent playoff team. Yeah. Like Mesher, I'm not sure. You know, I mean, it's he could be. He's super talented. Like he's got lots of talent. He's he he could be a piece of that puzzle, but um, it's it's not it's not obvious to me. No, he's easy to uh, he's easy to forget when we think of the. Canadians. Well, to me, he's kind of like you know. I mean, they kind of have Newhook. Yeah, I kind of see Newhook as being like the guy that's would play a Meshar type role on a team. You know, like the speedy, handsy guy who you know it's it's that's kind of Meshar can play center, but is better on the wing. Newhook can play center, but he's better on the wing. Like it's so. Listen, there's no rush. I mean, Meshar has time to to sort of carve his own way and and make himself indispensable, if you will. But it's you get you you got a team that's looking like you're gonna have Caulfield on the wing on one line, you got Newark on the wing on the other line. Then you're down to your third line. You really want to mesh our type on your third line necessarily, even if he's playing. Maybe he'd be playing with. Maybe he can play with Beck on a third line and and be and provide some offensive pop in the top nine. Who knows? I don't know. But it's that's a small it's not as clear. Forwards. Well, it's not as it's not as clear to me. Yeah, it's definitely a, I see a clearer path for Owen back to being an important part of this team than I do Philip Meshar for sure. Yeah, yeah, I think that the size element is also something. You know, we start we started this Future Friday by talking about Florian Jacka. He's, he's six foot four, so he's yeah. six. You know, that's always six. He's foot got a mean streak. He's a Jacka. Exactly, six foot four. Yeah. Who's got a mean streak and can score goals? Yeah. It, it draws the attention. Whereas Meshar, uh-huh. if he's a smaller guy who cannot, you know, really raise above the competition at the OHL level despite his skill level, there's there's there is concern there. Yeah, but let's see. Let's see. He's got he's got a lot of time. It's only February 16th. Um 
it's got a it's got a couple of months here to uh, to show what he can do this season and sort of change the narrative. But at, at first blush, right off the hop here, um, not great coming out of the World Junior break uh, for a second year in a row. Not great, Bob. Yeah. All right. Not great, Bob. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We'll be back on Monday. Uh, so until then, enjoy the game against uh, Washington. Second game in 10 days against that opponent, this time yeah. at the Bell Center. Don't forget, and, Monday is uh, is our mailbag episode. So um, you can email mailbag questions, Basu and Godet at gmail.com. Hit us on X at Basu and Godet. And don't forget that uh, we read the comments on uh, on on Apple. So if you leave a review on Apple and you write something there, we read that. So even if it's bad, but just write something. It'd be great. If just to feedback, what you'd like us to do, how you feel about the show, whether it's good, whether it's bad, whatever, just put something there. We read those things. I swear like to God. What? Yeah. Uh, on YouTube. Yeah. Like when you kept interrupting me and you had to adjust that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I did. I did. And actually, I, I don't know if the, uh, I don't know if the, 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 I know, I think that was on Twitter, the, the, the listener who, who objected to you not allowing me to do a fr future Friday jingle. So you see, yes, you, you get a comment across Goes both and, it, yeah. it, and it enacts change. Positive <laughs> change came as a result of communicating with us. Yeah. You see, now All Mark right. Antoine lets me do the future Friday jingle. Future, okay. future Friday, future, future Friday. See, there you go. That's the jingle from now on. One step at a time, everybody. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. See you on Monday.